Chapter Seven of Erasmus and the Age of Reformation. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Erasmus and the Age of Reformation, by Johann Wiesinger, translated by Frederick Jan Hoffman. Chapter Seven. Years of Trouble, Louvain, Paris, England. Fifteen o two to fifteen o six, Death of Butt, fifteen o two, First Day at Louvain, fifteen o two to fifteen o four, Translations from the Greek at Paris again, Valas Annotations on the New Testament, Second Stay in England, fifteen o five to fifteen o six. More patrons and friends, departure for Italy, fifteen o six. Carmen Alpestri. Circumstances continued to remain unfavorable for Erasmus. This year, fortune has truly been raging violently against me. He writes in autumn of fifteen o two. In the spring, his good friend Bart had died. It is a pity that no letters written by Erasmus directly after his bereavement have come down to us. We should be glad to have, for that faithful helper, a monument, in addition to that which Erasmus erected to his memory in the Antibabari. Anna of Vere had remarried, and as a patroness, might henceforth be left out of account. In October fifteen o two. Henry of Bergen passed away. I have commemorated the Bishop of Cambrai in three Latin epitaphs and a Greek one. They sent me but six guilders, that also in death he should remain true to himself. In Francis of Bursleden, Archbishop of Besançon, he lost at about the same time a prospective new patron. He still felt shut out from Paris, Cologne, and England. By the danger of the plague, in the late summer of fifteen o two, he went to Louvain, flung thither by the plague. He says the University of Louvain, established in fourteen twenty five to wean the Netherlands in spiritual matters from Paris, was at the beginning of the sixteenth century one of the strongholds of theological tradition, which, however, did not prevent the progress of classical studies. How else should Adrian of Utrecht, later Pope, but at that time Dean of Saint Peter's and Professor of Theology, have forthwith undertaken to get him a professorship? Erasmus declined the offer, however, for certain reasons. He says, considering his great distress, the reasons must have been cogent indeed. One of them, which he mentioned, is not very clear to us. I am here so near to Dutch tongues, which know how to hurt much. It is true, but have not learned to profit any one. His spirit of liberty and his ardent love of the studies to which he wanted to devote himself entirely were, no doubt, his chief reasons for declining. But he had to make a living. Life at Louvain was expensive, and he had no regular earnings. He wrote some prefaces and dedicated to the Bishop of Arras, Chancellor of the University, the first translation from the Greek, some declamations by Libanius, 
when in the autumn of 1503, Philip Le Beau was expected back in the Netherlands from his journey to Spain, Erasmus wrote, with sighs of distaste, a panegyric to celebrate the safe return of the prince. It cost him much trouble. It occupies me day and night, says the man who composed with such incredible facility when his heart was in the work. What is harder than to write with aversion? What is more useless than to write something by which we unlearn good writing? It must be acknowledged that he really flattered as sparingly as possible. The practice was so repulsive to him that in his preface, he roundly owned that, to tell the truth, this whole class of composition was not to his taste. At the end of 1504, Erasmus was back at Paris at last. Probably he had always meant to return and looked upon his stay at Louvain as a temporary exile. The circumstances under which he left Louvain are unknown to us, because of the almost total lack of letters of the year 1504. In any case, he hoped that at Paris he would sooner be able to attain his great end of devoting himself entirely to the study of theology. I cannot tell you, dear Collet, he writes towards the end of 1504, how I hurry on, with all sails set, to holy literature, how I dislike everything that keeps me back or retards me. But the disfavour of fortune, who always looks at me with the same face, has been the reason why I have not been able to get clear of those vexations. So I returned to France with the purpose, if I cannot solve them, at any rate of ridding myself of them in one way or another. After that, I shall devote myself, with all my heart, to the divine literary, to give up the remainder of my life to them." If only he can find the means to work for some months entirely for himself and disentangle himself from profane literature. Can Collet not find out for him how matters stand with regard to the proceeds of the hundred copies of the Adagia, which at one time he sent to England at his own expense? The liberty of a few months may be bought for little money. There is something heroic in Erasmus scorning to make money out of his facile talents and enviable knowledge of the humanities, daring indigence so as to be able to realize his shining ideal of restoring theology. It is remarkable that the same Italian humanist, who in his youth had been his guide and example on the road to pure Latinity and classic antiquity, Lorenzo Valla, by chance became his leader and an outpost in the field of critical theology. In the summer of 1504, hunting in the old library of the Premonstratensian Monastery or Park near Louvain, in no preserves his hunting a greater delight. He found a manuscript of Vala's annotations on the New Testament. It was a collection of critical notes on the text of the Gospels, the Epistles and Revelation that the text of the Vulgate was not stainless had been acknowledged by Rome itself as early as the 13th century. Monastic orders and individual divines had set themselves to correct it, but that purification had not amounted to much, in spite of Nicholas of Lyra's work in the 14th century. It was probably the falling in with Vala's annotations which led Erasmus, who was formerly more inspired with the resolution to edit Jerome and to comment upon Paul. He was to do both at a later date, 
to turn to the task of taking up the New Testament as a whole in order to restore it in its purity. In March 1505 already, Josie Badius at Paris printed Vala's annotations for Erasmus as a sort of advertisement of what he himself one day hoped to achieve. It was a feat of courage. Erasmus did not conceal from himself that Vala, the humanist, had an ill name with divine, and that there should and that there would be an outcry about the intolerable temerity of the homo grammaticus, who, after having harassed all the discipline, did not scruple to assail holy literature with his petulant pen. It was another program much more explicit and defiant than the Enchiridion had been. Once more, it is not clear why and how Erasmus left Paris again for England in the autumn of 1505. He speaks of serious reasons and the advice of sensible people. He mentions one reason, lack of money. The reprint of the Adagia, published by John Philippi at Paris in 1505, had probably helped him through for the time being. The addition cannot have been to his taste, for he had been dissatisfied with his work and wanted to extend it by weaving his new Greek knowledge into it. From Holland, a warning voice had sounded, the voice of his superior and friend Servatius, demanding an account of his departure from Paris. Evidently, his Dutch friends had still no confidence in Erasmus, his work, and his future. In many respects, that future appeared more favourable to him in England than it had seemed anywhere thus far. There, he found the old friends, men of consideration and importance, Mountjoy, with whom, on his arrival, he stayed some months, Collet, and more. There he found some excellent Greek scholars, whose conversation promised to be profitable and amusing. Not Collet, who knew little Greek, but more, Linacre, Grossin, Letmer, and Tunstall. He soon came in contact with some high ecclesiastics who were to be his friends and patrons. Richard Fox, Bishop of Winchester, John Fisher, Bishop of Rochester, and William Warham, Archbishop of Canterbury. Soon, he would also find a friend whose congenial spirit and interests, to some extent, made up for the loss of Bat, the Italian Andrew Ammonius of Lucca, and lastly, the king promised him an ecclesiastical benefice. It was not long before Erasmus was armed with a dispensation from Pope Julius II, dated 4th January 1506, cancelling the obstacles in the way of accepting an English benefice. Translations from Greek into Latin were for him an easy and speedy means to obtain favour and support, a dialogue by Lucian, followed by others for Fox, the Hecuba, and the Iphigenia of Euripides for Warham. He now also thought of publishing his letters. Clearly, his relations with Holland were not yet satisfactory. Servatius did not reply to his letters. Erasmus ever felt hanging over him a menace to his career and his liberty embodied in the figure of that friend, to whom he was linked by so many silken ties, yonder in the monastery of Steyn, where his return was looked forward to, sooner or later, as a beacon light of Christendom. Did the prior know of the papal dispensation exempting Erasmus from the statutes and customs of the Monastery of Stein in Holland, of the Order of St. Augustine? 
Probably he did. On 1st April 1506, Erasmus writes to him, Here in London I am, it seems, greatly esteemed by the most eminent and erudite men of all England. The king has promised me a curacy. The visit of the prince necessitated the postponement of this business. He immediately adds, I am deliberating again how best to devote the remainder of my life. How much that will be, I do not know. Entirely to piety, to Christ. I see life, even when it is long, as evanescent and dwindling. I know that I am of a delicate constitution and that my strength has been encroached upon, not a little, by study and also somewhat by misfortune. I see that no deliverance can be hoped from study, and that it seems as if we had to begin over again day after day. Therefore I have resolved, content with my mediocrity, especially now that I have learned as much Greek as suffices me, to apply myself to meditation about death and the training of my soul. I should have done so before and have husbanded the precious years when they were at their best, but though it is a tardy husbandry that people practice when only little remains at the bottom, we should be the most economical accordingly as the quantity and quality of what is left diminishes. Was it a fit of melancholy which made Erasmus write those words of repentance and renunciation? Was he surprised in the middle of the pursuit of his life's aim by the consciousness of the vanity of his endeavours, the consciousness, too, of a great fatigue? Is this the deepest foundation of Erasmus's being, which he reveals for a moment to his old and intimate friend? It may be doubted. The passage tallies very ill with the first sentences of the letter, which are altogether concerned with success and prospects. In the letter he wrote the next day, also to Gouda and to a trusted friend, there is no trace of the mood. He is again thinking of his future. We do not notice that the tremendous zeal with which he continues his studies is relaxed for a moment, and there are other indications that towards Servatius, who knew him better than he could wish, and who, moreover, as prior of Stein, had a threatening power over him. He purposely demeaned himself as though he despised the world. Meanwhile, nothing came of the English prebend, but suddenly the occasion offered to which Erasmus had so often looked forward. The journey to Italy. The court physician of Henry the Seventh, Giovanni Battista Boerio of Genoa, was looking for a master to accompany his sons in their journey to the universities of Italy. Erasmus accepted the post, which charged him neither with the duties of tuition nor with attending to the young fellows, but only with supervising and guiding their studies. In the beginning of June 1506, he found himself on French soil once more. The party of travellers stayed at Paris, and Erasmus availed himself of the opportunity to have several of his works, which he had brought from England, printed at Paris. He was by now a well-known and favourite author, gladly welcomed by the old friends. He had been reputed dead, and made much of. Josie Badius printed all Erasmus offered him, the translations of Euripides and Lucian, a collection of epigrammata, a new but still unaltered edition of the Adagia. In August, the journey was continued, 
As he rode on horseback along the alpine roads, the most important poem Erasmus has written, the echo of an abandoned pursuit, originated. He had been vexed about his travelling company, had abstained from conversing with them, and sought consolation in composing poetry. The result was the ode which he called Carmen Equestre Valpocius Alpestre, about the inconveniences of old age, dedicated to his friend William Cobb. Erasmus was one of those who early feel old. He was not forty, and yet fancied himself across the threshold of old age. How quickly it had come! He looks back on the course of his life. He sees himself playing with nuts as a child, as a boy eager for study, as a youth engrossed in poetry and scholasticism, also in painting. He surveys his enormous erudition, his study of Greek, his aspiration to scholarly fame. In the midst of all this, old age has suddenly come. What remains to him? And again we hear the note of renunciation of the world and of devotion to Christ. Farewell jests and trifles, farewell philosophy and poetry. A pure heart full of Christ is all he desires henceforward. Here, in the stillness of the alpine landscape, there arose something more of Erasmus's deepest aspirations than in the lament to Servatius. But in this case, too, it is a stray element of his soul, not the strong impulse that gave direction and fullness to his life and with irresistible pressure urged him on to ever new studies. Footnotes 8. A. 189. Philip Le Beau who had unexpectedly come to England because of a storm which obliged Mountjoy to do count service. End of chapter 7